Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today our teaching is in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Here's Pastor Ryan. First and Second Chronicles, it is a different view, guys. Um, it's not the, uh, like just a repeat of what uh, we have read in First and Second Kings. So it's a tremendous blessing because we're going to get a different, like editorial view, like just a, a different view of the things that we have already studied. Uh, it, it is they are divine books. It's a beautiful continuation of a historical work of the kings of Israel. And the theme of Chronicles, again, like I said, is King David's lineage uh, toward the Messiah. Jesus, when he walked around healing in Galilee, was often referred to as Jesus, the son of David. They would cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind men would cry out and he healed so many. But that's a very beautiful messianic title because he was of the lineage of david and these books that's what they're pointing towards that's where the focus is being channeled to first and second chronicles like first and second kings was one book at one time in the beginning it was written in hebrew and it was written in one book but eventually it was split perhaps to simplify things it was a large book we're not sure why it was split but the first evidences of the book being split was in 200 bc when the septuagint was written when the old testament was was translated from hebrew to greek that's when history first sees this book divided amen the original uh, Hebrew name for Chronicles was Debere Hayamim, meaning the words of the days. When the Septuagint was made, they called it in Greek, Paralepomemim, meaning of things omitted. Really beautiful titles, the words of the days or the events of these days or the things that were omitted from 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. And again, it's the, it's the same period of history. So as we're reading 1 and 2 Chronicles, it's the f- same time period as 1 and 2 Kings and of 2 Samuel. Most scholars believe that the writer of the Chronicles was written by the prophet Ezra at around the time of the return of the Jews from captivity in Babylon. So most believe it was Ezra's writing. If you read the book of Ezra, he's writing a history of the return of the captives from the Babylonian Empire. When we finish 2 Kings, we know that the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity and it would be for 70 years in Babylon. Most scholars believe it was Ezra who wrote this and that he wrote it around the time when the Jews returned from their 70-year captivity. Most scholars believe that it's Ezra, but it can be proven. But most scholars believe it's Ezra because of the stylistic similarities in his book and of these writings. Often, the writer is referred to as the chronicler. Isn't that cool? The chronicler. Because they, we don't really know if it was Ezra. But we know that whoever wrote it was meticulous, a meticulous historian, who referenced many other books that were around at the time in various places of 
First Chronicles, it'll mention these references. It would say, the chronicler says, the book of the annals of King David, for instance. The books of the annals of King David. The book of the kings of Judah and Israel. The annals of king of the kings of Israel. The records of Samuel. Samuel who? The prophet. The records of Nathan, the prophet. So he uses references, whoever the writer is. We think it's Ezra. He uses lots of references. So it just shows that he did his homework. He knows what's going on. And it's just a tremendous book. Chapters 1 through 9 deals with genealogies. Genealogies, like I said, are important to the Bible because they point us to Jesus. Jesus, It must be proven that Jesus came from the bloodline, from Adam to Abraham, Abraham to David, all the way down to Mary. Amen? So they're important for that very reason. So chapters 1 and 9 deals with the genealogies of Israel. And again, the heritage of the Jews, it makes it extremely important because of the Messiah coming through them. Chapter 1 deals with the patriarchal genealogies, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In chapter 2, it deals with the genealogy of Judah, which was the fourth son of Jacob. The fourth son, but yet... The Bible speaks of him before the other sons because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Amen. Chapter 3 deals with the genealogy of David. Chapter 4 with the genealogy of Judah again. Chapter 5 with the genealogy of the Transjordian tribes, the tribes that settled on the the east side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan, which was half-tribe Manasseh, and so forth. Chapter 6 dealt with the genealogy of Levi. Chapter 7 with the genealogies of the six northern tribes. In chapter 8 with the genealogy of Benjamin. In chapter 9 with the genealogy of Jerusalem and the genealogy of Saul. Chapters 10 through 29 deals all with the reign of King David. So again, we're going to get to study the life of King David mostly in this book. So it's the genealogies, the heritage of the Jews leading to the Messiah and all about David because the Messiah comes through who? Through David. The Babylonians were brutal to their captives, as we've touched on when we were dealing with them. They would take their conquered peoples, nations, and mix them around with other peoples so that these conquered people would lose their national identity. So to keep the Jewish genealogy during that time was a very serious thing because again the Messiah would come from their line amen who they were meant so much it validated who they were it was the validity of who they were their heritage as God's chosen people from which the Messiah would come and save the world knowing who they were the Jews would find great confidence or I should say the word that is most used in chapter one is son is son Are you open to chapter 1? You are not, right? Let's turn there. Just really quick. Verse, it says, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kalinan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were, and go down to verse 8, what does it say? The sons of Ham were, go down to 17, what does it say? The sons of Shem to 32, now the sons born to Ketherah. So you see the sons of the sons of the sons of. 
This brought confidence to them. This brought comfort to the Jews, knowing who they were, who they are. For when we do not know where we came from or who we are, it is difficult to go forward. Would you agree? If we don't know where we came from, we don't know who we are, it's difficult to move forward, to be blessed. I think about the days that we're living in and how Ancestry.com is such a popular site. Everyone wants to know, who, you know, where they come from. You know, what, where, where does the bloodline go? You know, I'm part this, part that. And, and I, get, I get the intrigue to that. I've often thought to myself, I would like to know, you know, what I am. Because as someone who doesn't really know much about who, <laughs> who they are or where they come from, you know, growing up without a father. And when my father left, it wasn't like he left when I was like three or four or ten. He left from birth. You know, I grew up that way and then I had a stepfather and a broken home. My mother wasn't interested in my life. Who am I? Well, I belong to Jesus Christ. But I'm so blown away at how God called me to pastor, yet I come from a, from a background of not knowing my ancestry too much I did talk to my father a couple times I did do his funeral I did you know there was some interaction later very few maybe about four times altogether in my life but the first thing I asked was where where do I come from what's Hussein all about he said I was Lebanese I have an older sister from from him she said I was Lebanese I talked to his brother on Hawaii and he says no bro we're Palestinian. <laughs> so, you know, and, but their mother, my grandmother, was full-blooded Hawaiian. And, they, and my father was raised by his Hawaiian mother. So, they're all Hawaiian out. And the Hussein, his father took off on him when he was a child as well. So, I don't know much. There's that saying that we use in this world. He comes from a good family. She comes from a good family. But what if they don't? What if they don't come from a good family? What hope for them is in God? The beautiful thing about God, why I love him so much, is because he's the God of the fatherless. It says in his word, when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will be your help. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he died to make us sons and daughters to make us family. Church isn't just a place where people get saved, it's a place where people get adopted. So Ancestry.com, I looked it up and it's all right here. I come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to know where you're from. And there are Christians today who struggle because they, they, either, they come from bad families, broken homes, kind of the same background I did. Maybe you've, you came from a two-parent home. Maybe you came from a a place of you had family but but there was something wrong there's something wrong with that and there's something wrong in your life and you need to know tonight that God loves you that he came to adopt you as his own we cannot choose our heritage I couldn't you know God didn't ask me when I was born in Los Angeles you're going to be Mexican Hawaiian Arabic like I didn't ask he just it happened and you know our heritage is in Christ. And we need to be confident in that. Like your self-worth cannot be in, oh, well, my father, my grandfather, my, my mother, my grandmother, and all. It's fine if you have good examples, 
good family, that's a wonderful thing, but not everybody has it. And in today's day, less and less people are, are being raised with fathers. That's a problem with crime in the poor neighborhoods and jail and all of those things. It's, fatherlessness is the biggest problem. So there's a lot of people who feel outcasted, like God doesn't love them because a neighbor, a friend has mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, family, love, support, and and you feel like you're left out. Coming into a situation in life like job interviews and career choices and what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to make a living? Who am I going to get married to? All of those things are harder for he or she who does not have family support. End of story. Family, even if they're poor, but they support you, is such a beautiful thing. Support, love, is the greatest motivator to do well. Love, family. And when you don't have that, there's a lot who don't have that. You know, whatever it is, God loves you. God knows where you're at, who you are. And he's chose you and I since the foundations of the world. He, he knew us when we were being formed in our mother's womb. And the Bible says that he relieves the fatherless and the widow. Relieves. You know relief. Relief. It's cold for the fatherless. It's cold for the orphan. It's a cold world. It is. Getting your information secondhand. You know there's no one going to you to give you that love, that information, asking how you are. You know, there's a lot of pain that people have because of lack of uh, parents or heritage. But none of that matters once we find Jesus because he becomes our father. And you have to know that, guys. If not, you'll never be content as a Christian. You'll never be healed from the pain of the past if you are not content with Jesus today. You know, Satan wants to just... Pigeonhole us into being fatherless, unwanted, motherless, whatever it is. But God, you know, that's what he came for. He came to be our father. He came to make us his children. He came to give us an inheritance not made with hands. I mean, I just cannot believe how good God is. I'm related to Jesus. That's all that matters. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Holy Spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then then an heir of God through Christ. So... As a son or daughter, he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. People say, oh, blood is thicker than water. Well, how thick is the Spirit of God that comes from heaven into this messed up vessel to renew my mind and regenerate me and give me a new life? That's crazy. And for eternity, God's grace and glory is going to be praised out of your life and my life as we're in heaven and people are going to say i cannot believe it look at look at this person it's in heaven and so let's go to chapter 10 and begin we can't choose our heritage but can we choose our legacy what what are we going to leave i'm building my children's legacy i'm building it i have a library full of books that can help them they get to see papa pray in the backyard 
They get to see him prepare messages in his office. They get to see him serve God's people. That's a legacy. I mean, my nothing would give me greater joy than to see my kids walk with the Lord, period. And we get to chapter 10, and then we begin with uh, the death of King Saul. We read in verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul, that's King Saul, the first king of Israel, and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, that's his son, David's friend, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And then his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead. He also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And so here we see the Philistines killing the first king of Israel, Saul. And for those of you who don't know, maybe your first, you haven't read the stories before, but Saul was the first king of Israel who had so much potential to bring glory to God and to lead God's people as their first king. But instead, he did his own thing. He did not honor the word of the Lord. This defeat that we just read is because of it. And he was warned that it would take place because he did not want to honor the word of the Lord. And so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fasten his head in the temple of Dagon. Crazy, huh? And when all Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons. And they were hanging in Beth Shemesh from the, from the city walls. And these valiant men went and took them down and they buried them. They brought them to Jabesh and they buried their bones under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and, fa and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he, God, killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So it's a small chapter about Saul. And then it gets right into the son of Jesse, which is David, King David's life. But turn with me really quick to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll read you know, one of the most famous 
moments of King Saul's disobedience to God. It's, it's one of the classic scriptures there in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be beginning in verse 10. God wanted to take out the Amalekites because they had hindered the Israelites as they were going into the land. And the Lord said that he would one day repay them for that. And he wanted to use King Saul and his people to go in there and wipe them out. And that's the story here. It says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel the prophet, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel also said to Saul, this is when God gives King Saul the command to go kill him. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and they lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But listen to this in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. And so he didn't destroy all as God had asked him to. He saved all the, the good loot, but he destroyed things that were not worth anything. And now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has passed by and gone down to Gilgad. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel hears all the loot, all the animals. And Saul said, Oh, they have, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. He said, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little, in your own eyes, you were not head of the tribes of Israel. 
And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder sheep and oxen the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgag. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin, above.